in the midst of all of the all the things happening around us right now in the world, the the fires, the uh, COVID, the um, the unrest, all the political stuff, the the list goes on and on. I mean, this is one of those years where everybody's kind of looking at each other, going like, "Really?" But at the um, center of all of it, you remain the same. And we just are so thankful for for you, for what you did on the cross, for the fact that your love for us and your plan has not changed. And throughout history, it's shown over and over again that uh, in the midst of some of the strangest and darkest times, you shine the brightest, do the greatest work in us. Uh, when things are easy, we tend to slack off. When things are hard, that's where you bring out the best in us and you do the best work in us. We just pray that that is what is happening now in the church, that you would just you would strengthen us, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you have to say through your word. Just thank you for that so much. In your name, amen. Am I going to be I feel like a little hot or is my echoing a little bit? It's weird to hear myself from this side. Um, so open your Bibles or your uh, phone or tablet, whatever you have, to uh, Philippians 3. We're going to be focusing on verses 12 through 16 this morning. Um, but I'll back up a little bit, as Pastor John always says, and it's true, context is everything. You need to understand what Paul was saying before the context of the letter. So I'm just going to really briefly, because um, I'm jumping in the middle of the book here, the Philippians, is, it's, it's, it might be my favorite epistle. Um, I mean, Romans is amazing, but Philippians is such a... I mean, people call it a, a joyful book, and by sure it is, but it is a... It's it's a book that doesn't have a lot of correction in it. Um, this isn't a book written... Uh, it wasn't a letter, excuse me. A letter written to uh, correct a very specific problem um, Corinthians is famous for. And uh, so it gives it kind of a different tone. It, it's written to a church that Paul didn't spend a lot of time with, but left a huge impression on him as his shown as he writes to them here. It's it's a it's a letter of love. It's a letter of just joyful celebration of who Jesus is, the work that he's done, and looking at what we do in response to that. Um, and that's what chapter 3 is almost entirely about. Um, so it was a letter written by Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. So, I mean, this is towards the end of his ministry. He is literally trained, chained to a Praetorian guard while he's writing this letter, um, and to write a letter so full of hope and joy is, um, it's amazing if you understand the context where Paul is at this point in his life. He has been through so much. He is near the end of his life, and I'm, I'm sure he, he knew it. I mean, it was no mystery kind of where Rome was going at this time in history, um, that uh, men like Paul were being persecuted and, and killed. So, with that being said, just keep that in mind as as Paul's saying these things, that it's easy to say joyful, encouraging things when everything is awesome. But it means more when you can find that joy. That joy is not just an emotion. It is, a, it is a choice. It is something that we, through Jesus Christ, are able to continue to, um, to be in because of him, not because of some euphoric emotional state that we found ourselves in because of whatever randomness has come into our life or, you know, food we ate or, you know, a good song come on or, I mean, even things that are important like relationships and family, which are, I mean, wonderful sources of joy and 
things to be celebrated, but they're not the ultimate source. And that's there's only one of those, and that's Jesus. So I'm going to start a little bit earlier in chapter three, really fast here. And I'm reading from the ESV. I'm sorry, I know we usually do New King James, and I forgot that Bible. So I'm going to read out of my normal one. So in in chapter seven, I sorry, in chapter three, verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And yet I count everything as loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, we were just singing this morning about um, Greater You, Lord. um, That's a good song, too. Uh, Lead Me to the Cross, where the idea that rid me of myself. Paul, and and earlier in this chapter, he he touches on this. He was um, somebody who, if there was anybody who wanted to make a case for his own righteousness and his own standing in the law and the Jewish culture and, and community, Paul could have. He was, he was raised um, underneath one of the greatest teachers of the time. He was raised to be a Pharisee. He um, was highly educated. By today's standards, he would be at the, at the top of the pile intellectually, status-wise. And you know, he talks about how, in every way possible, he kept the law. And then when the church started to form, he was like front line to, to get it back down because you know the Jews were not not fans, especially Jewish leadership were not fans of what Jesus was saying. He was he was saying things that were inflammatory to them and were were hostile towards the traditions and the way they've been doing things. And and Paul was like, I mean, he was zealous. He was he was on the front lines for putting that down by by the standards of the law and the way that especially the way the Jewish community interpreted them at the time. He was he was going for it. He had every reason to be confident. And and then as he is saved, I mean, he was, is you know, the last, that's recorded in Scripture anyways, and, and I have no reason to, to believe otherwise, the last direct convert by Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus appeared to him on the road and became the final apostle. He goes on to author the bulk of the New Testament, becomes one of the greatest church planters and preachers in history. I mean, it's he has um, a lot to stand on. From a human point of view, and the fact that at the end of his this is again this is the end of his career. This is one of the last letters he wrote. That he's talking about how it's all nothing. He would, nothing matters except Jesus. And in today's world, especially, I feel like there's just there's so much noise. I mean, I'm I'm kind of right in between the generations. I'm you know I'm just about forty, so a lot younger. And I'm I'm guessing older, but. <laughs> um, and so it's it's funny because I grew up right when you know the internet was going from being a kind of an odd novelty to being just a focal point of society. You know, technology was was really turning to become much more a regular part of life. Um, yeah, I'm old enough to remember when it was not that way, and I'm young enough that I picked it up super easily, and it was kind of integrated in my life easily. And my point is that there was um, it's interesting to see the amount of noise we have today, the um, the sheer volume of opinions and ideas and beliefs that are just filtering into our heads constantly. Not that they, those haven't been there before, but they all kind of get funneled now into this cool thing we carry around in our pockets all the time that just won't stop. Um, and the the singular focus of what Paul is going to talk about here is so important. And, and, it's, and it's in a way, it's, it's refreshing to go back to 
because you can find so many different opinions out there about this this is how your walk should look, this is how church should look, this is how worship should look, this is how schools should look, this is how you know, these are the traditions that are really important. We gotta hold on to these. This is the this is the uh the uh the, the format. And if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. And not that there aren't some do's and don'ts for for ministry and, and there isn't a clear, you know, God has got an order that is about several times throughout scripture that he's not somebody who wants chaos and just everybody kind of running around doing their own thing. But at the same time, there is so much distraction that I'm pretty sure it was Pastor Chuck. If not, it was another famous Calvary pastor who said, you know, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ and our relationship with him is the first and utmost reason why we're here and the whole point. And if we get beyond that and we let the main thing become, I mean, everything from his, you know, as serious as as how we teach to Siri, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, <laughs> sorry, guys. To you know, something as trivial as uh, what kind of coffee we serve at church, people take that really seriously. And I like coffee, but it's things have a tendency to get elevated way beyond where they should be. So, with kind of that context established, let me get into verse twelve here. So. Paul's going to refer back. He's going to, now that I have already obtained, not, sorry, not now. That would really change what this meant. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And again, he's he's referring back to what he said earlier about his righteousness is found through faith in Christ and not through righteousness from the law and that he's going to know Jesus by the power of his resurrection here in his sufferings. I mean, he's referring back to what he was talking to er- about earlier said, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I almost hate to like expound on this because Paul just says it so well. I mean, it, <laughs> I'm going to, obviously, but it's just, he so clearly states here of just, we're, we're not perfect. We're not there yet. We're, we're still, you know, in, in Romans, Paul talks about the fact that we still have the weight of, like, flesh, right? We're, we're still, even after we get saved, we're still people. We're still human beings. We still have our sin nature. We're still dealing with all of the, the weight of this world, both spiritually and physically. Um, so there's absolutely, I mean, there's spiritual weight, right? There's, there's sin. There's absolutely a, a spiritual war happening. Um, one of my favorite books ever written was Screwtip Letters by C.S. Lewis. It just it, it paints such a great picture of how that works. And just that battle that's raging in um, for our souls. And we're, we're part of that. And at the same time, just all the physical uh, weight of this world. I mean, you know, as, as you know, everybody here has, a, has their own unique uh, set of things that they're dealing with, whether it be, you know, something that's broken, something that's not working quite right. Um, you have, you know, cravings or addictions or... Impulses, things that you know, just you you have weights on you, um, you know the, the the baggage, the burdens, and then just the um, the fact that while we're on this earth, we're we're going towards a physical end, and all of the the things that go along with that. But we were made perfect in Jesus, and it's there's there's two there's a quote by Spurgeon. I mean, I'm jumping ahead of myself, which is not what I'm supposed to do. But there's this amazing quote by Spurgeon. It says, But while the work of Christ for us is perfect, 
and it were and it would be presumption to think of adding to it. The work of the Holy Spirit in us is not perfect. It is continually carried on from day to day and will need to be continued through the whole of our lives. Not to say the Holy Spirit's work in itself, like the work he's doing, is, is perfect, but that it's a continual process. We're not finished yet. There's um, a great theological word called sanctification. It's uh, speaking to the, the process that we're going through. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus didn't just doesn't pull us as soon as we're saved, right? There's work to do. There's... There's work to do both in us and then through us. And what's amazing about this is that God doesn't need us at all. We don't um, give him options he didn't have before. Um, he, he could do it any way he wanted to. Um, I absolutely believe, and the scriptures absolutely teach, that God is powerful. Omnipotent is the uh, Greek word there. But the, the idea that he chooses to work through us and it's for our benefit because he wants us to be part of that process. He, he desires us to get to know him, both through growing closer to him on our own spiritually, through study, meditation, prayer, um, life experiences, and also then to, to fellowship and to take that to other people and to be examples, to share, to, to fellowship with other believers and to grow through that. You know, it's not just privately. It's also through rubbing against other believers, you know, the iron sharpens iron type idea that this is process that continues. I mean, again, Paul, the guy who authored the book, the New Testament, is talking about he's not there yet. That should be just a good indicator right there that none of us are ever are ever there. There's never a, a time where we sit back and we rest on on our laurels of, I've got this. You know, I've read the Bible a couple times. I've studied it. Maybe you know, if you're a teacher, maybe you even teach the whole Bible through you know, a couple times. It's like, are you, so you're done at some point? You're like, all right, it's all finished up. We're just going to sit back and wait and... Uh, you know, God's got nothing left to do with me because I'm, I'm all. No, that, that, that doesn't exist, right? That, that never happens. And there are, that, that process is something that we should be embracing. And that process, the, the process of what Jesus Christ is doing in us is the main thing. The, um, let's circle back around to, to this, this idea that just, I struggle with this personally. You know, it, it, I've, I've heard this told me by a couple teachers that I just admire is that when, when you're preparing something, it's a good thing if it hits you first. Like, it, it should really be personally convicting. Um, and it should be something that really makes you think about your own walk. And I mean, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this constantly, of just like, this, and it's almost like a discovery. Like, you kind of realize, wow, I haven't, I've been really focused on these other things, and, I, and I've let Jesus kind of slip to second or third place. In, in what I'm focusing on right now, because I've just I've gotten caught up in, and even it, sometimes it, it's stuff that uh, is is totally uh, legitimate and things that do need attention. You know, my my work, I, yeah, I have a wonderful family, and I provide for them, and I want to take care of them. I, you know, I have many recreational things I enjoy doing. I you know live in the Pacific Northwest, love being outside. I also love to read, and hey, I'm a I'm young enough where I do play games. Um, all of those things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But we let those things start becoming more important. And one of the biggest ways that we, let, we see that they're more important is the amount of mental energy we give to them. Um, you know, I, I catch myself going, I have spent hours and hours putting time and energy into something that's recreational or something that's just kind of, you know, it, it seemed important at the time, but in hindsight it was just something I was caught up in. And when was the last time I gave that much devoted mental energy and time in my walk with Jesus. It's something that it happens more often than I'd like. And 
you know, it, it, you, you go back to a, if you're catching it, if you're aware of it, and you're convicted by it, and you keep cycling through, that's, that's the right process, right? Because none of us are ever going to get to the point where that never happens, where, where there's just this perfect, like, you know, zen-like, I'm just all Jesus. No, we still have to live our life. We still have to, and this isn't a, I'm not advocating for a, a lifestyle where you kind of, you know, you go sit on the beach and meditate on Jesus and nothing else happens. No, you have to live. We're called to live. You know, Paul had, had work. He, he had life also. But that everything goes through the funnel of Jesus first. How we look at everything is, is focused through the, the lens of Jesus. How, how we approach work, how we approach family, how we approach recreation, what we do for recreation. What, I mean, this is, <laughs> if Jesus was sitting there, would you be doing it? That's, I mean, that's one I've had asked some be like, hmm. Because it's easy to justify things, and especially as culture pushes more and more of a, hey, this is so popular, this is so common, this is, I mean, in the church is so common, it's fine. It's like, really? Is, uh, is, is the stuff, you know, if, uh, here's a, a modern version of this, if Jesus could see your Netflix recent history, what would he think of what you're choosing to, to consume? And I, I don't mean this in a, in a beat anybody down way, but just a, just, it's a thought process we should be going through. We should be checking ourselves. We should be meditating on Scripture enough that that is constantly hitting every other part of our life. Um, the, hmm, he said, this is, this is something that I, I find myself, I'm thinking more about myself than anybody else here because it's something that, again, is so easy to just get caught up in the, the noise of, what we want to be doing, what we think we should be doing, what other people say we should be doing, how they say we should be acting, and what Jesus calls us for. You know, this right here, it's not all knowledge, but it's everything that we need to make the, the determinations for, for what we should be doing and how we should be living and what the real sources of purpose and joy in our life are. And the the idea that we let other things uh, get to that place. Just speaks to again the fact that work's not perfect, right? It's not. It's not done. Um, I'm going to get back to my notes here because I'm just rabbit trailing. There's um, <laughs> just a, a cool story here I wanted to share about uh, letting uh, letting the baggage become more important. This was uh, in 2015. There was a British Airways uh, jet. It caught fire um, on the runway of Las Vegas uh, Airport. Um, now, if you're in an airplane and it catches on fire, uh, that's pretty much the definition of an emergency and uh, getting out. So, you know, there's smoke coming into the um, the main cabin. People are, you know, of course, panicking a little bit and you're trying to remember the safety briefing and, you know, where the stewardess was pointing to go and uh, flight attendant, sorry. And one of the interesting reports that came out of it was the amount of people who were taking time to grab their carry-ons before they got off the plane. This is a plane that's on fire. Um, you know, you got, what, 777, um, almost 200 passengers in a, in a tube that's on fire, and they're taking the time to, to grab their bags. Um, this is from a report afterwards. They were saying that, you know, that uh, on average, it's like between 5 and 10 seconds how much time you add to getting off a plane if you stop to get in the overhead and grab your bag. Um, well, you multiply that times everybody on the plane, and you've added anywhere from seven to nine minutes the time it takes to evac a plane full of people. Uh, this was just a, a news, um, I forget who wrote this article, but this thing that 
at the end of this, you could literally say that people love the carry-ons more than their own lives. And it's just an interesting little picture of, again, we get, we get so caught up on, well, my, my life is, it's my laptop up there because it's got, you know, save files and it's got pictures on it and it's got, you know, it's expensive and I don't have to deal, you know, and, and you get, you, you, you put the definition for what's important on things that, that don't, and, and it's funny because a lot of this stuff is, it seems obvious when you say it out loud, right? Like, I don't think anybody, even non-Christians would disagree that, oh yeah, we, we probably do put too much stock in. I mean, how many movies and songs and everything, you know, talking about, oh, I, you know, I, I need to, I need to focus back in on, you know, on, on love and on joy and, and being positive and, and the relationships and, you know, get, you know, not getting just, it's, it's almost, not almost, it is cliche almost. But, it still has to be said because if you look around the world, that happens all the time. And that's why, you know, I, I as much as I, don't doubt everybody here agrees to a certain extent. I think that if we all took the time to look at our lives, we would still see things that this needs work in. Paul certainly did. I mean, he's he's talking to a church that didn't need a lot of correction, but he still made a point to tell them about this. Because this is one of those core things that you can be as dialed in as possible and still need to work on. Because Paul, if you read this, he's talking to himself. I mean, he's sharing this with the, with the church at Philippi. But ultimately, his... His wording is all pointed at himself. He's talking, you know, I. I mean, he uses the word I like something like 30 times in this chapter. He's referring to, I'm not, you know, I haven't gotten there. I counted as loss. You know, I have suffered. I, you know, I may gain Christ. He's, he's talking about himself. And again, if Paul is making this point, how much more should we be looking at ourselves? Um, this is a, this is a quote from, from one, of, one of my favorite teachers down in California. It says, apart from Jesus, Everything in our lives that we think is going to create our perfect life is just a carry-on. It's just the baggage. Throughout this letter, Paul has been making the point, Jesus is the source, the sum, and the substance of life. And that should change the way we approach living on this side of forever. I feel like repeating myself again through all of that because it's just, it's so important to me. But at the same time, I, I do want to move on. But it's just, just, Keep that in the back of your mind for as we're going through the rest of this, because he expounds on on what this means as we keep going. Um, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I wanted to to touch on this because the idea of forgetting the past and looking towards the future is a really powerful idea, but. This is one of those things where Paul's not giving a blanket statement about forgetting everything behind. Because if we look at we say, okay, so I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at all the things that I've made important, and I need to make sure that these are all fine. God made an amazing world. It's, 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 uh, it's diverse. It's full of so many different uh, flavors and varieties of so many different things, the relationships, the, the people, the, the work. And all those are individually fine. And the way that we, and the fact that we're even built to absorb so much variety speaks to the fact that, that God is a God of, of art and creativity, and he wants us to experience that. But it's about order, right? It's about making sure we're replacing certain things. And part of that process, okay, so I've, I've realized that, and I'm, gonna, I'm forging ahead. I'm making sure that my, my focus is on Jesus and that I'm keeping these things where they should be, and I'm, that's a continual process. I know I'm going to mess it up, and I'm going to keep working on it. I'm going to... But he's, he's not saying here, forget everything. He's saying, make sure that as you're forging forward, you don't get stuck in the stuff that's going to hold you up. You know, the um, again, uh, referring back to screw tip letters, because Lewis talks about one of the greatest strategies that Satan has 
is he's really, really good. And if you think about this, I think anybody here could relate to this at some point. We're really, really good at remembering the things that hinder us and forgetting the things that would help us. It's easy to um, remember and get kind of stuck on our failures and the times we were discouraged, the, the times where things didn't work out quite right, the, the times that we failed and were embarrassed, even if it's just internally. And the times where it's like, no, God absolutely got you through that. There's this amazing story of how, and this personal story for everybody, everybody where you have something where you, you, you weren't sure you could make it. You, you didn't see any way out. And then in hindsight, you look back and you're like, wow, Jesus was just there, and he got me through this. He, he walked me through it from beginning to end. And in the middle of it, I couldn't tell what was going on. That tends to be easier for some reason, because that it's a, it's a great strategy, that that tends to be what doesn't stick in our minds. It, it's more the, the negative. And in, in um, what the wrong way? <laughs> Sorry, yes. In Psalms 103, too, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Right there, David's saying, these are things you shouldn't forget. You shouldn't forget who God is and what he's done. But at the same time, in the First Corinthians, Paul says, in 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall, because the, the grace and the strength that you were given yesterday is something that doesn't just by default keep going. You have to keep seeking it. You have to keep going. And again, Jesus and God set this up in a way that benefits us, where we have to keep coming to him. We have to keep trying. We have to keep working at it. It's not something that's just going to be, all right, again, I'm there, I'm done, here you go, job done. It's something that you have to keep striving for. And that's where forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And Paul, when he says lies ahead here, he's not referring to tomorrow in a, in, in, in the literal sense of a, well, you're you know, look, looking forward to... Uh, you know, the next uh, the next good cup of coffee you get, or the next you know good movie you get to see, or or even something as big as when you get married one day, or when you have kids or grandkids, or you know he's he's referring to what lies ahead with us in Jesus. He's talking about forever, talking about forever with Jesus Christ. That is ultimately what we are straining for, because this is just a temporary, temporal existence that we we are in now. Again, we are we have an eternal spirit that's married to our physical bodies, and this is just a chapter. And what Paul is talking about, and what should be the ultimate goal, is we're looking out way past the next random event in in our lives right now. We're looking forward to an eternity with Jesus Christ, and that is the driving force behind how we live and the decisions that we make. I, he, he uses this, this amazing uh, mental picture of. You know, straining forward, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. There's a few times in the New Testament where Paul loves to use kind of an athletic analogy, and um, it's very appropriate. I mean, it's think about a professional athlete, pretty much their whole life is wrapped up in winning what they're doing, right? being the best at something, how they eat, how they live, how they spend their free time. The, the public image that, that they put together, it, it, it's all very focused, right? You look at most athletes' lives. Now, there's some political things these days, but we won't get into that. Um, but generally speaking, an athlete is very, very focused. Every aspect of his life is 
focused on the one aspect of I need to be the best that I possibly can be in order to accomplish my goal on the field or the court or whatever whatever he's, he's do, he or she is doing, that there's this, this drive that you see at, at the, the upper levels of that. And back in the first century, there was no, there was, uh, it was no different that you know, there were athletes who participated in, in various sports at this time that were just, that was their whole lives. And you would see, you know, how many pictures and still frames and sports articles you know, can you find where you see like the face, right, like the freeze frame face of an athlete that's just giving it every single bit that they have. Now, they're, they're doing that for, you know, a basket or a goal or, or whatever. So, you know, at the end of the day, some recognition. Let's, let's all be, be clear about that. That's a huge part of the motivation. But the imagery is still very poignant. That is how we're supposed to look. We're supposed to be professional athletes towards forever with Jesus. That is, that is the word picture that's being painted here of just everything is focused towards that. How you live, how you interact with others, how you spend your time, all those things are, are fine, but they all need to be, again, focused around singular goal and, and uh, an endgame forever with Jesus Christ. And again, Paul is referring to himself here. I, I keep saying that, but it's just, I. this is something that's so core. Don't lose it in the, well, of course, this is, yeah, you, you're speaking to something so basic and simple. This is something that is so vital. Don't uh, don't lose it just because it seems obvious and something that every Christian knows this. Um, if every Christian knew it, if every Christian actually behaved this way, things would look radically different today, I guarantee it. Um, there's this uh, great passage in Timothy where Paul's talking about his, his past and not letting it, it get in his way. And I know I'm backtracking here a tiny bit, but I just I wanted to read this because this is uh, Paul's letter to Timothy is just amazing because it's it's you know Paul's speaking to the young man that he's training up to be a teacher, and so there's kind of uh, some unique um, language and kind of uh, vibe almost that, that you have in, in in those letters, and I just it's 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 very honest. I think that's where Paul's kind of pouring his heart out to an individual instead of a church. And um, I'll just read this. This is First Timothy one twelve through sixteen. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a prosecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Again, Paul wrote this towards the end of his life. But I have received a mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's whole life was about Jesus. And it was looking back on his past, and he had a past. I mean, the, the guy hunted down and helped murder Christians. And he was there at, at, at you know Stephen Stoning. He was the guy who was like taking care of everybody's stuff to make sure it didn't get hurt. Well, they murdered Stephen. And he's the one who's now writing like, amazing. His grace is amazing. What he's done for me is something that is, it, he's almost like a run-on sentence here where he's just trying to like describe it, of just the, the amazing grace that, that Jesus Christ gave. And then at the end saying, the utmost, uh, the excellence of all this is that maybe this can be an example to other people. Just don't, don't forget this, this, this core thing, guys, that it's, our past doesn't define us in terms of 
what we've done because grace is amazing. And then as we move forward and we continue to work at making our focus, Jesus Christ at every turn, we can be an example to other people and we can just love on other people and, and hopefully God can use us. I mean, that, that's the ultimate goal, right? It's just, God, use me. However you need to, however you want to, just use me. And if that's happening, then I'm good. Then that is the ultimate fulfillment of I'm going to be with my, I'm focused on I'm going to be with you in forever. While I'm here, I can be used by you to show other people you. And everything else is secondary to that. Um, the, um, we're talking about you know, kind of the, the, the picture of an athlete. The other thing here, uh, the word press, <laughs> press towards the goal. Um, the, the actual Greek word that's underneath this, it's used a few times in the New Testament. Um, it implies stretching and bearing down. Rigorous, physical, strenuous, rigorously, physically, and strenuously. Um, there was a, a commentator who actually called it uh, sanctified violence. It's just an interesting picture of, again, the Paul is using some very strong Greek words here to emphasize how much work and how much focus is being pushed into this, um, put into this, this lifestyle, this goal. And, and just don't miss this, guys, that this is, this is core stuff. Um, and then he ends, he ends this little section with, with some grace, because he's, again, he's talking to, to a church that he loves dearly. And he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. I mean, he's basically saying, Mature Christians should all agree on this. This is something that should be. And and if you don't see it yet, it's it's okay. God's going to get you there. That there's this this call for unity and a call for grace here as everybody's in a different place. And you could be somebody who I mean Paul was still working at all this, but he was obviously very aware of it. He was, you know, he was somebody who I, I don't think anybody would disagree that he was on human term in human terms, kind of on the upper level of of having a good walk. You know, if you were going to put it on a, on a scale of here's how Christians look and how they live and kind of how in tune they are, Paul was probably pretty high to the uh, peak of that scale. But he's still making all, all these points about himself and to other people. But he's also addressing the fact that not everybody's there all the way. That this is a process. This is something where when you're younger, this is something that you might know, but you haven't experienced quite as much. And you know, it's later in your life, you've experienced so much, and but it's still something you're aware of. It's still something you're working on. And everywhere in, in between, but we should have grace with each other. This isn't a chastising statement. This is just a loving, God's going to reveal it to you. Don't worry about it. But this is truth, and this is something that we all need to agree on. This isn't um, open for, let's let's have some different ideas of how this should go. I mean, there's a lot in the, in the Bible when it comes to how church should look and how our walk can look. There's some room. There's some room for personality. There's some room for cult. There's definitely some room for culture. I mean, there's... You want to study the Bible and you want to under, you know, parse the difference between cultural things of the day and the like hard theological truths that don't have any room to be moved. I mean, there, there's a lot of room there. Um, but the core things that there's no room. This is true for anybody, anywhere, anytime. This is one of them. And then I just want to an- end here with what he says in verse 17, which is, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And ultimately, keep your eye on Christ. There's a call for imitation here. There's a call for, don't just kind of, okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's basically, it's, a, it's kind of a call to action, so to speak, right? This, uh, that would be the, um, 
the term you would use if you were like a motivational speaker. All right, you got to end with a call to action. You've got to like, you know, and, and it's true when you, when you teach also, right? You're supposed to tell everybody, all right, so we've got this information. What are we going to do with it? And Paul was no different because at the end of the day, this is the one big thing that now you know, what are you going to do with it? Imitate it. Act it. Live it. Don't just hear this and like, all right, that's great. Don't just tuck it away and go on with your life. Take this and run with it. This is something that needs your energy, your attention, and your focus. I definitely haven't arrived there. I would dare to say nobody in this room has. We're all in in different stages and different phases, and that's fine. But just double down on the the effort and, and the focus and make sure that at the end of the day, you can... You, you're rarely, if ever, going to be able to say, I did it perfectly. But what you should shoot for and what you can do is say, I did keep it the forefront. I did keep it the priority. And I worked hard to get it back there whenever I realized it wasn't. And that effort is so important. And if you, can, if you, if you see that, if you find that, I, I truly believe that that's kind of what the, the day-to-day goal is on, on this side of forever. Um, uh, it's just... Keep going back to Jesus. It really is that simple. And not that there aren't nuances and other things to consider. I mean, the whole Bible is full of such amazing things. But at the end of everything, keep going back to Jesus. Make him the first thing. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the, the things that you chose to preserve, to, to share with us. You gave these words to Paul that you you chose to to use him in such an amazing way that would just be an example. I mean, he he says at the end of his life that he just wants to be an example more than anything to you. And I just I thank you for that. And I pray that you would just give that same fire to all of us. That we would we would just take what you've given to us. That we would just would live on it. That we would meditate on it, focus on it, make it something so deep and true in our lives, and then turn around and want nothing more than to shine that to the people around us. To be an example. To be a light. And to make that the renewed focus of every day, to not just have that happen and then find a complacency that is dangerous and, de- and, 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 and leads to destruction, that you would just help us to find renewed strength to do that every single day in you. Thank you so much. I do pray also just that you would keep, keep everybody safe. Please keep Pastor John safe as he's on vacation. And please be with um, just the brave men and women of emergency services. They're fighting fires and um, people are trying to travel and just all those other things. That you would just... You'd bless them. You'd be with them. Thank you so much for them. Keep them. We love you, Jesus. Pray you'd bless the rest of this.